Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine and sponsored by Steer. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bilotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Welcome to this week's In the Oil Patch. My name's Alvin Bailey, and I'm normally alongside your host, Kim Bilotto, but I'm in the studio by myself this week because Kim is in Houston, and she's got some very special guests lined up for later in the show, so stay with us. But first, we're going to catch up with our resident energy expert and associate editor of Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine, David Blackman. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, big news over the last couple of weeks, David the executive order on the clean power plan that, that President Trump signed. Let's let's unpack that just a little bit and talk about that. Yeah, uh, well, that was very interesting. It, it you know the the clean power plan was the Obama administration's uh, you know it was really an effort to to increase costs of coal and power generation so that uh, it would encourage fuel switching, uh, retirement of older coal plants, and conversion to natural gas and other cleaner fuel sources like wind and solar. And um, it was based, by and large, uh, on the construct of uh, at the Council of Environmental Quality of this, uh, what they call the social cost of carbon calculation, which was, you know, basically entirely a construct of, of the Sierra Club and some of the environmental groups. Um, and so President Trump had campaigned. He made a big part of his campaign uh, uh, that he would do what he could to to rescind some of the regulations that had happened under the Clean Power Plan to try to free up the domestic energy, uh, the coal industry, and, and restore some coal jobs. But the interesting part of the executive order is really it will uh, impact the oil and gas industry, in my opinion, more than the coal industry. And, and one of the main reasons for that is so many of the upfront investments and 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 permitting exercises and and plans to retire these these older coal plants are already baked into the cake. You know these companies have already made these decisions. They've already enter, entered into agreements and gotten permits to retire just a huge swath of these older coal plants and convert them to natural gas or uh, to a lesser extent wind and solar. So it might restore some some jobs in coal country, but but in reality that that social cost of carbon construct at CEQ really formed up the basis for the whole raft of uh, environmental regulations on the, the oil and gas industry, particularly related to methane emissions that the Obama administration put into place over its last six months in, in office. And uh, absent that foundation uh, of the social cost of carbon, which of course never uh, takes into consideration the social benefits of, of carbon, of, of all the social benefits of, that fossil fuels have brought to our society. Um, the, you know, the whole basis for some of those reg regulatory actions goes away. So, yeah, for instance, of of some of the things that fossil fuels bring to the our society is air conditioning and clean water and 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 things right, that we take life. for granted. Yeah, life stuff like that. Yeah. And clothes that you wear, any clothes that contain rayon or polyester, and, and on and on and on. I mean, half of, your, of the laptop I'm looking at right now as we talk is made from from materials that were manufactured from petroleum products. So it, it, people just don't understand um, uh, all 
all the ways uh, the petroleum in- industry impacts their daily lives. Um, so that that was a big thing, and, and frankly, I just think uh, as time goes on, we're going to see that it really is going to have a more stimulative impact on the oil and gas industry than on the coal industry. Well, now let's talk oil and gas, uh, specifically gas, LNG. Price is stabilizing a little bit. What do you see going on in, in LNG right now? Yeah, we've had a real interesting development in natural gas over the last month. Um, you know, we've had a, a very, very large increase in LNG exports over the last six months, really, but it's really begun to accelerate. Chenier Energy just announced the, the, their 100th load going out of, of the Sabine Pass uh, export facility last week. And, uh, you know, they're just finding more and more markets uh, for natural gas from the United States. The biggest new market, <laughs> ironically, is China. Uh, is bringing in more United States LNG than any other country. Um, and so that Asian market is really beginning to open up, and that is eating up the surplus of natural gas, the, the glut that's been on the market here in the United States. And at the beginning of March, the natural gas price was about $2.70, and everybody thought it was just going to stagnate there or even go down. Well, it, it, it rose over $0.50 cents in MMBTU during the month, month of March. So... That's really been a positive for natural gas. And the other thing that's interesting that's happened is we've seen an activation of about 15 drilling rigs, new drilling rigs in the Haynesville Shale in East Texas and Northwest Louisiana uh, over the last month and a half. Uh, And that has, to a large extent, has to do with its proximity to Sabine Pass and, and the abundance of pipeline capacity coming out of that basin. Uh, by contrast, the Marcellus Shale, you know, which is the other gigantic gas plate in the United States, the rig count up there is stagnated, and they also have, are experiencing a real uh, lack of pipeline takeaway capacity out of the Marcellus Shale region to, to get that gas, you know, to the export markets and market into processing plants. So it, well, it's, and, and there's, there's some interesting stuff happening with natural gas. Right, and pipeline projects, are there's several of them going on, and that's not going to be an instant fix to being able to move gas from from the Marcellus to to one of the export plants in around Corpus or, or whatnot. But, right. But let's talk about pipeline projects. Well, you know, that's, that's the other thing that's really been uh, a lot of action around here over the last month. Uh, the Dakota Access Pipeline uh, is now completed. Uh, it has finished its line fill operations and is going to begin flowing oil here in the next few days, uh, you know, which is a real positive. It's going to take 400,000 barrels of oil a day off the, the, the rails and, and out of trucks and into a much safer pipeline system. Uh, Keystone XL was, was granted its. Uh, cross-border permit by the State Department, uh, and so that project is going to continue along. And then we just recently had the announcement of several, uh, three different major pipeline, uh, proposed pipelines to, to bring natural gas out of the Permian Basin down to Corpus Christi um, and other Gulf Coast plants. One of the things people don't really understand about the Permian is everybody looks at the Permian Basin as this gigantic oil play, which it is. But all those oil formations also produce natural gas associated with the oil. And as, as production is ramped up out there in West, West Texas, uh, the 
ability, you know, there's just not enough takeaway pipeline capacity out of that basin to, to handle it all. So um, you're going to see the building of several major new pipelines here over the next year to, to get all that gas out of that basin. How long does it take to complete these pipelines once construction starts? Well, in Texas, it doesn't take long. You know, you know, from from the beginning of the permitting process until construction's finished, you know, things go as they ought to go. It could take about a year, just and maybe even slightly less than a year. But uh, in other states and in other parts of the country, uh, it can take much longer. Especially, you know, one of the things in Texas that makes it easier is by and large you're trying to build these pipelines all you know, across branches and other big patches of land that are privately owned, whereas in a state like Wyoming or Colorado, those western states where over half the land is owned by the federal government, it gets much more difficult uh, because the federal permitting process is 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 far more complex and, and time-consuming than, than the private permitting process here in Texas. So uh, but all these pipelines are in Texas and, and, and entirely situated in Texas, so they should go pretty quickly. In, in closing, um, rig count for the state of Texas, it's way up this week. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, over the month of March, we, <laughs> the industry activated almost, well, over 80 new additional drilling rigs just in the month of March. And uh, that's the most I've seen over the last couple of years, really, in any given month. Uh, and that's just a reflection of, of, of companies, you know, uh, ramping up their drilling plans for 2017 in a more stable price environment than we've had the past couple of years. And, um, you know, I think we can anticipate that rig count to continue to rise um, in Texas probably at least through the end of the first half of the year. And then companies are going to reassess where the price is and how much capital they want to spend in the second half of the year. And I really think what What's going to end up happening is, is with the price still in that 50 to $55 range, you'll probably see that rig count not fall but level off and stay pretty stable the second half of the year. Uh, but, but right now, you know, I mean, it's a good time. It's a, you know, there's a lot of jobs being created in the oil and gas industry right now. David Blackman, final thoughts uh, tying all this back together with the executive order on the clean power plan being signed this week. Um, final thoughts on all this? Well, uh, you know, it's it's what a difference an election makes. Um, six months ago, uh, all these oil and gas companies, were their biggest concern was how they were going to comply with all the new regulations coming from the Obama and then the Clinton administration that they were anticipating. And then the election went the other way, and, and now suddenly uh, the prospects for the oil and gas industry in the United States are a lot brighter. And... Um, you know, that's how elections work, and uh, that's why we vote. So it's, it's uh, God bless America. David Blackman, always a pleasure having you on. I mean, I wish I had, you know, 1% of your knowledge in oil and gas, and, and I'd be a much smarter person <laughs> for it. But we do appreciate having you on each and every week here in the oil patch. Until next week, David Blackman. Hey, thanks you. And right now we do need to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch. My name is Alvin Bailey, and we'll be right back. Home to the prolific Permian Basin and Eagle Ford Plays, Texas is North America's most active oil-producing region, and its midstream operators handle millions of barrels of crude and cubic feet of natural gas every single day, which is why Hart Energy developed its annual Midstream Texas Conference and Exhibition, giving industry professionals a comprehensive look at midstream business activity from the state's premier shale plays to its massive Gulf Coast refining complexes. 
Join us at Midstream Texas, May 23rd through the 24th, 2017 in Midland, Texas at the Midland County Horseshoe Arena. You can register for this great event at MidstreamTexas.com. Once again, that's MidstreamTexas.com. We'll see you there. PISA is the Petroleum Equipment and Services Association who is the unified voice for the energy industry's service, supply, and manufacturing organizations advocating and supporting continued achievements in job creation, technological innovation, and economic stability. PISA provides corporate membership opportunities in two categories, industry and allied. Over the years, a lot of amazing companies have become members of PISA, but don't take my word for it. Click on the directory on their website and see for yourself. In order to become a member of PISA, all you need to do is go to PESA.org, click on the membership tab, and fill out an application. Once again, that's PESA.org. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us, 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and our guest today is Gilbert Gonzalez, who is with a director with uh, the University of Texas at San Antonio. Gilbert, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thanks, Kim, for having me. Before we get started, um, tell me a little bit about, I know that you are a director with UTSA, but what specifically do you head up your your department? So I'm with UTSA, Institute for Economic Development. So I oversee really a 79-county region that's primarily all rural. And what is the scope and the work that you do pertaining to the economic development? Do you help uh, the communities? Do you help the businesses grow within those communities? Is it a little bit of both? Um, specifically, what does your department head up and do? Sure. It's, it's, it's a combination of things. It's business development on one hand, but in rural, you have to do community development along with it. So the idea is we help them kind of using research and some planning tools, diversify their economy. And the idea is what we're trying to accomplish is, is we're trying to till the soil, so to speak, if I can borrow a farming term, and then cultivate sure. it and, 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 and sow seed into it, and then really try to create businesses for the future. As you know, small towns, they typically don't have a lot of growth, uh, but how do, you, how do you change that? How do you transform that economy? So we use it through research, we use it through business development tools, we use it through planning tools, and we just try to cultivate that, that new growth, uh, business, what we call business expansion and economic growth. And that's so important because when you look at these counties, um, they need so much support and help, um, especially when Eagle Ford, uh, the, the boom happened, so to speak. They needed a lot of guidance, and it's glad to know, I'm glad to see that you all, that the university was there to help these smaller communities think about the bigger picture and a long-term type picture and help them get going with what they needed to get going. But I want to, you're here today basically to talk about a program that's really near and dear to your heart. It, so it's called the Texas Rural Challenge. Tell me a little bit about the history of it and the background of what is the Texas Rural Challenge. Sure. So about eight years ago, uh, Kim, we actually were sitting with the governor's office, some staff at, at UTSA. And, and the idea was that the governor at that time according to them, said, you know what, the governor's really trying to do something for rural areas across the state. Uh, so the Texas Rural Challenge is a statewide conference 
Uh, and in addition to that, it was just kind of a it was a conversation like we're having today. And essentially, it was what can we do for rural? So we were brainstorming, and we said let's start with the conference. So that was eight years ago. This marks this this year will mark eight years that we've had the conference. And again, it's really to how do you bring people together from different parts of the state in rural areas, and how do you just really improve economic climate, create jobs, create sustainability around the small towns. And it's, so it's, that's how it started. That's how it originated. And it continues to move forward. The governor's office is still involved in it. And so it's kind of picking up momentum. And this will probably be probably one of our best one in terms of quality and content, but also in terms of just the, the turnout we expect. Awesome. And, you know, eight years of doing it, obviously you guys are doing something right to continue this. But I think also we tend to, if you live in a major urban area in Texas, you really don't think about how important the rural areas are to the larger urban uh, cities or, or, you know, the larger cities and how important their job and their function that they're thriving is important to the whole state, to the state as a whole. So I'm glad that you're doing this. How many attendees do you normally gather at these conferences? Well, I think last year was probably one of our highest uh, attendee attendants. Uh, we had about 400 folks that sh- signed up from about 90 different communities across the state. Amazing. You guys are really doing some amazing things with the conference, and we're going to cover that here shortly. Um, The type of uh, attendees that come to this conference, um, are they just people from rural counties? Are these students? Are they parents? Are they elected officials? Who are the people that make up this conference? Well, it's a combination of people. I mean, it's it's people, but I wouldn't say it's just people, but I would say it's people from rural areas that represent, uh, it could be a local, it could be a teacher, it could be a small business owner, it could be a local elected official it could be a county commissioner uh it could be a you know it could be uh, a healthcare representative from let's say i'm a, a administrator from a healthcare hospital and it could be folks like that that are there but again it could be one of the areas obviously we we, we try to address is small businesses in rural areas but we're also trying to work with the communities and, and kind of better understand what the needs are in those rural areas. We know what the challenges are, so to speak. Right. I mean, they seem to be pretty much across the board, across the state when it comes to rural. But what we're trying to do is, is try, how do we strengthen these opportunities? And, and one of the ways that we've, we've seen is by just bringing people together to a conference that really is relevant to the challenges they're dealing with, then together we can create what we call solutions, Mm -hmm. right, for those small towns. It could be someone, let's say, in the Panhandle that's doing something that someone in in South Texas, let's say, in the Valley is not is struggling with. But the idea that they've connected and now they have a relationship after the conference that they can continue maybe to work together to address the problems they're having in in the Valley that, that, and there's a best practice maybe coming from the Panhandle area of the state. And do you guys also document and um, monitor uh, success stories? And um, how do you disseminate the information? So let's say the two rural counties do come together and they create uh, one basically uses the formula of the other one. Do you disseminate that information out to all the other little counties or the other counties letting them know um or the areas of interest that they might show. How do you document? How do you keep everybody informed? Or, or, or is it at this one-time conference? Is this where these things are done? Well, I think initially it, it's done with the, the connection with someone that maybe has done a best practice. And But I'll give you a couple examples. So somewhere in the Waco area, there's a, there's a couple, a couple of small communities. And I think just from attending last year. So they've been able to get funding from EDA. Economic Development Administration for a couple of infrastructure projects, which was what was keeping them from really growing that community. 
So as a result of that, we're finding this out post-conference. We're saying, you know what, because we went to that conference, this is what the experience that we took away was actually getting to know the EDA representative that was there and then being able to connect with that resource on the project that we were working on that had been stymied for so long, but had it not been for the conference and the opportunity of meeting that individual that helped him with that project, we wouldn't be here today to sharing this story with you. So we've had several examples like that. And we're doing a better job, Kim, documenting those, those examples. I think the year before, there's people that have actually attended. And they personally said, Gil, I just want to share with you that the fact that we went inspired us to run for office in our local community. Really, that's amazing. Gil, we do have to take a quick break. We're going to come back and get back on this topic. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. And we will be right back. Join us for the 2017 Women's Energy Network National Conference from April 26th through the 28th at the brand new Marriott Marquis Hotel in downtown Houston. The theme of this year's conference is Energy Resilience, Refueling Innovation, featuring presentations and panels by Judy Smith, Inspiration4, and co-executive producer of the hit series Scandal. A presentation from Jack Gerard, CEO and President of the American Petroleum Institute, and an industry keynote panel featuring Elizabeth Killinger, President of NRG Retail and Reliant, Jody Markopoulos, GE Oil and Gas Chief Operating Officer, and CJ Warner, Tesoro Executive Vice President of Operations. In addition, there will be mentoring circles, an expo hall where you can speak with sponsors, and a LinkedIn corner where you can update your profile, speak with recruiters, and even take a new headshot. Registration includes a wine tasting, fitness events, and other social activities at the beautiful Marriott Marquis, the host hotel for Super Bowl 51, as well as a Texas-shaped pool and access to excellent dining and entertainment options in downtown Houston. You can sign up at our website, www.womensenergynetwork.org. And as a reader of Shell Magazine, you're eligible for a discount registration code. We hope that you join us at the 2017 WIN National Conference, April 26th through the 28th. For more information, visit www.womensenergynetwork.org. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Gilbert Gonzalez, director at UTSA. Gilbert, before the break, we were discussing, so this Texas Rural Challenge is supported by the governor's office, but you were discussing before the break that you guys have success stories that have come out of these eight-year conference or the eight-year conferences that you've had so far. And so I want to get back on that. Tell me a few more success stories that came that have come as a result of these conferences that you guys are, are holding the Texas Rural Challenge. Sure. I mean, I think there's been an ongoing uh, list of success stories, but I think what's, you know, if you're going to change rural, I think you have to, you have to empower rural. And that's what this conference is about. You know, this year it's empowering rural Texas. And I think when you empower leaders in those small towns and they have, they feel equipped, right, to do the job, to have the knowledge to be able to do the job, I think you see change. You see transformation in those rural areas. So we've seen a lot of folks come in and say, you know what, Gil, because I went to that conference, I was inspired to run for office, right? But at the same time, I would have never taken that leadership role. But I know now what I know because of the conference or for the last two or three conferences, I've attended a rural challenge. So I feel more confident as a leader. So again, if we're going to create change, I think it's, it's got to be that foundational change with leadership. Because once they're empowered, they can create change. And it can be anybody from, it could be a high school kid, and it can be somebody at 80 years old that says, you know what, I'm empowered to run for office. And so we're, we're seeing more of that and seeing more youth engaged in rural than we ever have before. Very interesting when you look at the dynamics of, of, the, of the big picture. And what I mean by that is oil and gas development outside of having offices, EOG and Marathon in the large uh, cities, 
there's no drilling that actually occurs in the urban areas. They're all in these rural communities. And so it does have a great impact on the state when you look at the billions of dollars that we receive from taxes and royalty taxes for this drilling, that's the oil exploration that's happening. And yet we don't quite put together being in these big cities, how important these rural communities are to us and what they go through by in you know having to have these oil companies and the and the exploration going on and so having a good foundation and helping these communities establish a good foundation long term is is vital to them not not to mention to us as as well in the large cities and I don't think we necessarily put that together I want to uh, change gears a little bit and just ask what is the focus yeah. so I mean I, I was going to tell you I think that we, we spoke about this maybe just uh, in the last segment but I think one of the ideas is uh, you're, you're alluding to a point about you know we, we don't understand the really the the interface between rural and urban and I think that and that's a good point because a lot of people do I think they take for granted that all the work that goes into natural resources, whether it's oil and gas or whether it's production or whether it's food production. Um, it, it happens at a farm or it happens at, at a ranch with, with its cattle production. I just think when you think about those things, it just doesn't end up on your table. I mean, if you back up a little bit and reverse engineer that whole process, you'll find out that it began with uh, the hard labor efforts and the, the fruit of the labor of a farmer or rancher that brought that. It's no different to you know, in oil and gas, I think agriculture and really oil and gas or energy really drive rural. They're, they're key economic drivers for rural. And when you look at the downstream efforts in, in Eagleford Shell and the Corpus Christi area in those rural areas, uh, you see a lot of, you see a lot of, uh, you know, uh, increase in terms of economic growth right now. You're, we're seeing that right now. But those are rural areas as well. And I think that's why empowering leadership is so important. I'd say this point from just my years of working in rural areas is that you know, a state's economy is only as strong as its rural economy. That's right. And we forget that. That's right. So if you leave them behind or lagging behind, you're really not optimizing your state's economy and the impact and the output. So yeah, the idea is that you really can't leave them behind, and you have to find ways to integrate them. Right. So it's really not something you can say, well, gee, that's not my problem. I don't live there. No, not so quick. Um, so I want to change gears a little bit again and, and ask you to discuss the business plan pitch competition, and uh, which includes Texas Strong and Texas Student Challenge. First, what is this? And uh, tell me a little bit more about Texas Strong, Texas Student Challenge. So I think we also determined years ago when we started both of these competitions, the Texas Strong and the Texas Student, that really the lifeline to those areas is really the youth, the mm -hmm. young students that right. are leaving those small towns. And the other thing we just discussed earlier was that local businesses are so strong. You know, they've got to be strong to be able to support that, you know, the local growth and, that, and those economies. And so the Texas Strong came online about six years ago. It's, it's a business plan competition. Uh, excuse me, it's a fast pitch competition on, on with the Texas Strong. And these are small businesses from throughout what we call our Ford SBDC regions across the state. They get to nominate clients that they feel can compete at the Texas Rural Challenge. There has to be some type of rural benefit or application in order to compete. And so it's a cash award. Last year we had a gentleman named Robert Licorice with Arnroot Distillery. 
that actually won the $10,000 first prize. He's from a small town outside of the Fort Worth area. So he took those $10,000, Kim, and he actually, what he did with that, he was actually able to open an international market across Europe to be able to sell his product there. So you never know, you can't despise small beginnings. So with the $10,000, he leveraged that to open new markets across the world. Wow, that's amazing. The Texas student, on the other hand, you've got a lot of students, you always hear this brain drain in rural areas. Kids are leaving, young adults are leaving. And where are the opportunities? And usually not because they want to. It's just the, their their town doesn't offer them what they need, and they aspire to go and make more money somewhere else. But I'm sure if they were given the opportunity to stay, they would if they could find that opportunity. And I want to get back into that. We have to take a quick break. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Amerijet's Global Cargo Network is ready to take care of all your shipping needs. With over 40 years of experience in the energy industry, we will help drive your excellent performance. Shipping general cargo, oversized, heavy lift, hazardous material, or mission-critical cargo? Amerijet is your full-service logistics provider, offering air charter, airport-to-airport, cross-border trucking, and express shipping. Amerijet will connect your company to over 30 major cities in the U.S. with more than 625 destinations worldwide. We provide global transportation solutions throughout the Americas, Mexico, the Caribbean, Europe, Asia, and the Middle East. Your company will benefit from compliance with the highest safety and environmental standards, 24-7 security and surveillance, and online tracking. Let Amerijet's global team ensure the safe delivery of your cargo. For the best in customer satisfaction, Amerijet Houston is your commercial shipping partner. Call Amerijet at 281-617-2187 or visit us at Amerijet.com. Once again, that's 281-617-2187 or visit us at Amerijet.com. You know, great companies take great care of their employees. Ensure the well-being of your workforce with Baptist Healthy Solutions, your answer to convenient and affordable health care that comes to you. Our mobile health unit delivers on-site, state-of-the-art, comprehensive care that keeps your employees healthy from the day they're hired till the day they retire. From pre-employment screenings to routine immunizations to on-site injury care and more, trust Baptist Healthy Solutions with your workforce health care needs. Health care that comes to you. Call 866-334-2485. Again, that's 1-866-334-2485. And we are back. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Gilbert Gonzalez, the director of UTSA, uh, University of Texas of San Antonio. Uh, Gilbert, before the break, we were uh, discussing the Texas Student Challenge and how important it is to look to the youth in these rural communities and help get them educated and help them possibly even stay within their own community. So talk to me a little bit about what the Texas Student Challenge is. Sure. Um, Kim, just just one, one thought about the Texas Student Challenge is I'm real passionate about working with youth, uh, number one. And number two, they're the future of rural communities. And if you don't engage them, you don't recruit them in any of the process before they leave for school, before they go to college, the likelihood is they probably won't come back. But if they know that the opportunity exists, the probability is they will come back even if they go to school, right? So they really, to me, in my eyes, they are the future of those small towns. And so the Texas Student Challenge is just one way to say, you know, we want you to innovate to your rural areas, to your rural needs. And, and these, these kids are across the state competing for cash awards as well, like the Texas Strong, but they, they really have an opportunity to say, you know what, I wanna make a difference in my small town. And in fact, I might be going back to my small town and I'll start that business and I'll create jobs. So that's what the Texas Student Challenge is all about. Very nice. So what should Texas Strong and Texas Student Challenge contestants expect from this competition? 
Well, I, I'm going to say it's getting better every year. And I've got, we had last year, uh, one of our judges is from the Association of Small Business Development Centers out of Washington. First time ever. Wow. He's attended. Yeah. And I thought he'd stay for a day, but he stayed for two days. He was so excited. He says, oh. when we do the ASBDC conference in 2018, somewhere in that time frame, we're going to call it Rural Matters. So that's, wow. that's really, really a game changer in a lot of ways when someone can come at a national level and say, that's how important rural is to our economy. Right. right, and so I'd say right now, just with with the point of just understanding, uh, you know, the purpose of why we're here today is to really explain uh, that, that without the kids, without the students, it's impossible to make um, to change and transform rural. Without empowering leaders that, that are in office right now, it's impossible really to change the landscape. And I think that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to fill just really a small niche, a gap that we see. And given the opportunity, we, we use our resources to be able to do that. And what can, so Texas Strong or Texas Student Challenge, the winner, uh, what can they expect from being the top uh, earner and or the top winner of this these two different, these two different, the competition. Competition. Yeah. <laughs> what can they expect from the top uh, spot in the competition? So a lot of times what happens is people, it's an open competition, which is really cool. So people mm-hmm. can sit and, and, and listen to their presentations, watch their presentations. And people in the audience, what I've seen before is they may be people that are either attorneys, uh, and, you know, investors, that saying, we like your idea, we want to help you with it, so they can take them to uh-huh. the next level. So. <laughs> we like that idea, let us help you with it. Okay, so what type, give me some examples of uh, some of the students that have won, what were some of their ideas and why did they win, do you feel? Yeah, I think last year we had a gentleman by the name of Adam Nawazo. So he was from Texas State University, uh, kind of rural background. And I think one of the things he noticed, businesses are kind of lagging when it comes to technology in rural. And so he'd come up with an application that, that small businesses in rural areas could benefit and could be, they could go global with just the application itself. And since some of those areas are kind of, it's, you know, it's kind of, uh, when it comes to technology or broadband connectivity and digital inclusion, I think sometimes they lack that. But with this application he had developed, he was, uh, it was going to connect businesses with really other opportunities and look for ways to really boost their income and their wow. revenues. So, Gil, are you guys still welcoming uh, vendors and partners to join the Texas Rural Challenge for 2017? Definitely. I mean, I, I think it, uh, if you haven't been there to experience the Texas Rural Challenge, you need to go. And you need to make it. You need to set the time aside, mark your calendar, whatever you need to do to remind yourself, and just make the the hike to Waco, Texas, and and get to experience it. I, I guarantee you, the experience will transform you. But in addition to that, you're going to say you're going to bring some people with you next time you come from your community. So you've got to go to this event. So when is this event, and where is this event? It's June 29th and 30th. It's going to be in Waco, Texas, uh, at the convention center in Waco, Texas. And why do y'all pick Waco? Just is it centrally located in Texas for everyone to get there? Or Well, that's, Waco claims to be the epicenter for Texas. I mean, apparently four hours from any direction, you've got 80% or 90% of the Texas population. And, you know, most people living in rural, they want to drive. I mean, it's tough for them to be gone uh, any length of time. And their, their budgets are generally smaller than some of the urban budgets. And so what, what they do— Waco makes the perfect spot. Yes. I agree. And you are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we will be right back. Hey, oil and gas friends, Alvin Bailey here. You know, every week, Kim and I work really hard to bring you up to speed with what's going on out here in the Texas oil patch. I also want to take just a minute to talk to you about your fleet needs. Whether you have one truck or 1,000 trucks in your fleet, I can help you. 
Call me when you have a minute and let's talk trucks. Did you know that the Kalig Auto Group offers pickup and delivery right from our service departments? And I'll bring the dealership right to your desk. You don't need to drop what you're doing and come waste hours and hours of your valuable time haggling over pennies. I have a very transparent process with a simple pricing formula that ensures you're always going to get a very competitive price and the very best service available in the industry. So call me today, area code 830-480-3656. Again, 830-480-3656 and let's talk. The Kalig Auto Group has Ford and Ram trucks for your heavy duty needs. We also carry Mazda, Subaru, Volkswagen, Jeep, even Lincoln and Lexus for your luxury needs. And we have an Audi store coming soon. So whether you need work trucks for your day-to-day -day business or a new Lincoln or Lexus for you personally, call me. My cell number is 830-480-3656. Again, 830-480-3656. Or you can always email me a bailey at kaligauto.com that's a bailey b-a-i-l-e-y at kalig k-a-h-l-i-g auto a-u-t-o dot com i look forward to seeing you down the road shale oil and gas business magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business so let's start growing your business in texas email us info at shalemag.com hey you do you want to go to the fastest growing oil and gas mixer in Texas? Ma'am, I'm all for growing my business, so you got my attention, but what is Teak? Teak is the Texas Energy Advocate Coalition, and we hold free business mixers to help businesses grow and network. Is there a fee to join? Not for the next 90 days. It's completely free. So there's no charge to join, no charge to attend mixers, but we do want like-minded individuals to attend who are interested in growing their business and networking. Well, I want to join. Where do I go? You go to shellmag.com slash teak, T-E-A-C, and click the join link. Enter your information and we'll get you set up. So let me write this down. That's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G dot com slash T-E-A-C. Yes. Well, that sounds good. I'll see you at the next mixer. Oil Field Experts is the only place you need to go to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil field equipment needs. Specializing in hard-to-find oil-filled parts for your fleet maintenance needs, oil-filled experts have been providing parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us to get the right part right now. Here's the number, so write it down. Oil-filled experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. Empower Rural Texas and join the Texas Rural Challenge at the Waco Convention Center from June 29th through the 30th. Hosted by the UTSA Institute for Economic Development SBDC Rural Business Program, this is the largest state event of its kind. Engage in innovative presentations regarding small business leadership and community development or business plan competitions for Texas small business owners and college students. Join the challenge and register as an attendee, vendor, or sponsor at TexasRuralChallenge.org. We are back. You are listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Gilbert Gonzalez, director of the University of Texas at San Antonio. Gilbert, before the break, we were talking about the Texas Rural Challenge. The, the date is set for June 29th and the 30th, so it's a two-day event. It's actually going to be in Waco, Texas. But I want to talk a little bit more about um, the governor's office and the support that you're receiving from the governor's office pertaining to this challenge. Um, obviously, they find that rural uh, communities are important, but is there some type of um, 
does the governor attend your event? Um, does Are there spokespeople that attend on behalf of the governor's office? How does this work when the governor supports the small businesses pertaining to your event? Well, we get a, we get a host of folks from the governor's office. We've had the first lady uh, actually participate maybe two years ago at the conference. Secretaries of state uh, from, uh, you know, have attended as well. And we have a new secretary of state, Rolando Pablo, so he'll I think he's, he's planning to attend. We have workforce uh, commissioners that attend. You know, Julian will be there, Alvarez and Ruth Hughes, and also Andres Alcantar. So we've, we've had a, a host of, even elected officials have attended in the past. Um, I, I think, again, it, it's, is that it matters to them that, that rural right is actually growing and in a, in a positive way and an economic way as well. So I think that uh, we do get support from the governors, just you know, from a staffing standpoint. We actually have a team of probably with the governor's office as we speak that's kind of helping us, you know, with uh, some administrative logistical stuff. And so we get a little bit of support from them as well. Is there a limit on how many students you accept in the challenge versus how many uh, p- uh, participants you accept at the Texas Strong Challenge? Or is it just open as many people apply are included and considered? We, I don't like to put limits on, on things, and especially when it comes to students or even Texas Strong, but, but uh, it, there's no limits on the Texas student. I think when it comes to the Texas Strong, we generally will nominate up to about eight from the state that actually come down and compete. Very nice. Is there anything else you want to add about the Texas Rural Challenge? Well, I think it, just thank you for the opportunity to be able to talk about the Texas Rural Challenge, to talk about the Rural Business Program, what we do. Uh, to me, rural matters. Um, you know, I, I I can't see without rural how you can really, again, optimize uh, our state economy. And I think uh, with working with energy, which I've had in the past, uh, most of the energy companies, whether it's down in uh, Eagleford Shell, uh, throughout Eagleford Shell, or even in the Permian Basin uh, over, over the last few years, I think it's, it's starting to make a difference. I think energy companies, for example, are really looking for opportunities to connect with partners like UTSA and the Institute for Economic Development. Especially the employment issue of that as well. It's so important to the energy sector as well as to the rural communities that they have a vibrant workforce there. So, and, and we're trying to address that somehow with the Workforce Commission in, in terms of how do you, you know, you can, you can address the community and economic development areas. We can touch on the business development areas, but it's really equipping the future workforce for those opportunities that come up, whether it's energy or any other new opportunities. You need that skilled workforce to really have what I'd say achieve and maximize your, your economic growth. It's so important, Gil, what you guys are doing. Are there any other challenges like this that are going on in Texas that, that are also kind of trying to do the same thing, put a, an emphasis on how important rural is, or is this the only conference that's going on in the state of Texas to help rural communities? This is the only statewide conference that I know of uh, in, in the state of Texas. I think there's, there's part, partners throughout the state, like Future of the Region, Mm-hmm. South Texas is one that you're familiar with as well. But I think that's a perfect idea where there's been efforts, and, and, and they've been for 30, 35 years trying to see change, right? And I think when you look at uh, those areas, some have been successful. You've got High Ground, which is up by Kevin Carter, up in uh, closer to uh, north, northwest Texas. And I think those are all kind of regional efforts. But I think the, that's important for an economy to grow as right. well. I think when you create the, really the regional kind of uh, approach, you're creating their strength in numbers, uh, if that makes sense, is that you're working together on workforce and community development and business development. All together, uh, very cohesive. So, 
if we have anyone, a student out there or a parent listening that has a child that want, has got a great idea that's going to help the rural communities um, or a business, where can they go to to find the Texas Rural Challenge? We can go to our website, which is texasruralchallenge.org. You can also go to our, our Facebook, which is uh, at Texas Rural Challenge, or you could go to our Twitter, and which is uh, at econ, D-E-V, U-T-S-A. Perfect. Give me your website one more time, Gil. TexasRoyalChallenge.org. Yeah, one more thing that I think is significant. You know, we've been hosting the Texas Royal Challenge in Waco, and the, there are 26, uh, approximately 26 councils of governments throughout the, the state, but uh, they have helped us host the conference for the past four years, and for each year, they've either invested anywhere from ten dollars to $15,000 in registrations for their actual members of the Council of Government there, which is the heart of Texas Council of Government, and that really is significant. So they believe and they see the value in the conference, and so I, I don't know of any organization that's really invested that much uh, into their into their leadership, which is county officials, county commissioners, judges, and others that have participated in the Texas Rural Challenge. So you know, hats off to really to the heart of Texas Council of Government for doing that and investing in in their region in Texas. And so, Gil, it was a pleasure you coming in and talking to us about this important work that you guys are doing. Once again, it's Texas Rural Challenge. Uh, any listeners, please, if you guys know of a budding student that is working on some uh, magnificent project that would help the rural community, we want to hear from you. So please go to TexasRuralChallenge.org. Gil, thanks for coming in today. Thank you, Kim. Well, that's all the time we have for the show. But be sure to like us on Facebook. That's Facebook.com slash In the Oil Patch Radio Show. And follow us on Twitter at ShellMag. That's going to wrap up another great show. We will see you next week with more exciting news and insightful interviews. Until then, adios. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bellotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.